0: Thank you, thank you. Okay, so the purpose of that first session, in case you didn't catch it, was just to say simply that we live in the day and age where we are the people of the Holy Spirit. So, of course, we are followers of Jesus. I'm not minimizing that at all. But in terms of the day and age that we live in, Jesus has ascended. The Father and the Son have sent the Holy Spirit, and we are a people of the Spirit Until Jesus returns and then we are in his presence fully without any obstruction for eternity. So, does that make sense? Okay. Now, this tension of um, presence and mission will carry through the rest of this time together. But this tension of presence and mission. So, if the Holy Spirit is here... If this is what the church is, is that we are the people of the Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit doing? What is the Holy Spirit doing in our churches? What is the Holy Spirit doing with Christians around the world? And, and so I want to try to tackle a little bit on the gifts of the Spirit, although I won't get into each of the gifts or all of the gifts by any means, but I want to tackle a couple of them. But before we do that, I want to talk about how we receive the gifts of the Spirit and why, why should we receive the gifts of the Spirit And I want to just say up front, and we talk about this quite a bit in our church, is that the gifts of the Spirit, um, they can make for a very fun gathering of Christians. It can be fun to be Christians together, and we prophesy over each other, and we have a good time. But actually, the gifts of the Spirit are not only for that, but they are for the mission. They're for the mission. So when Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit to the church in Corinth in particular, this kind of underlying thing is that there are unbelievers around you. There are unbelievers in your meeting. I, I suspect that's true at Jubilee. That's true in our church. One of the great uh, exciting things about being in a church is that you have unbelievers with you. And they're kind of looking in and they get to experience God and God meets them. And, and it's exciting to see them added into his family. But that the, the gifts of the Spirit, I would dare to say, are primarily for the mission. He's saying this is what it's like for the gifts to be used. This is how the the unbeliever will respond in that moment. This is is why you would use this gift in this moment, because there are people there who don't know God. They don't know his love. They don't know his presence, and they need to be called into that. So just to say that, to give you a little bit of a foundation for this session on gifts. uh, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Jesus says, Ask... If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? We have to settle that right off the bat. We have to settle that God is good. If, if you haven't settled that in your heart, it's difficult to receive gifts. It's difficult to receive his commission to go on mission because you feel like it's a trap. You feel like he's out to embarrass you. You feel like he's out to heart hurt you or harm you. Uh, you feel like he's the puppeteer. He's just kind of dangling you out, just saying, ha, 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 ha. But if you settle in your heart that he's a good father, Jesus wants his disciples to know in this moment he's good. He gives good gifts. It's kind of that tongue-in-cheek moment. I mean, you can kind of imagine the scene. He says, like, and which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? You can imagine the disciples like, no one, no one, Jesus. That's crazy, man. They're just kind of like, no. And he's like, exactly, exactly. No good father would do that. Who would do that? Not a good father. And so he wants them to know he's a good father. He's not out to embarrass you, and he's frankly not out to get you to do something you don't want to already do. The way it typically works, I wouldn't say always works this way, but what it typically happens is God shifts your heart first so that you want to do what he wants you to do. That's why we pray on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. Your will be done. We, 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 we Sometimes we pray that because we think that's the right thing to pray, but it's a beautiful thing when we get into that prayer and we actually want that. We actually want what he wants. And so in this moment, he's actually saying, I I want you to want what I want. He's saying that, I mean, I could prophesy that to you today in a very safe way that God would say to you today, he wants you to want what he wants. That's what it means to be sons and daughters of God, that he wants you to want what he wants. And when we become Christians, it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that you became a Christian. Because we are not, like I said before, we are not in a social justice movement. We are not in a movement of just gathering people into community. We are not just in a movement of of, of teaching people some scripture. We are in a movement of of a a death to life movement. That's what we're in. And so it was by the power of the Holy Spirit that you've been raised to life in Christ Jesus. And so um, you begin to love the church. You might have hated the church before you became a Christian. I hate those Christians. I hate the church. They're always telling me. They're They're asking me to do it. They always want your money, this and that. Then all of a sudden you love the church. I love this. I love, I love my brothers and sisters. It's not perfect by any means, but I love to lock arms with these people and go through life with them. Um, I want to know Jesus more. I, I want to uh, know what Jesus loves. I want to know what Jesus doesn't love. I want to be a part of this thing. All of a sudden in your heart there's a shift and you want to know and want to love what Jesus loves and, and um, you become more like him. You have compassion on people. <laughs> Anybody like, just remember before you were a Christian you were just like, I hate people. And then all of a sudden, Jesus raises you to life, and you're like, oh, man, I really feel bad for that person. I have compassion. What is this thing I'm feeling in my heart? This compassion for somebody." They, Jesus said he saw the crowds; he saw them as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That we start to—you you look at people, you, you walk down the street, and you see someone struggling through life. The brutality of life has just overcome them, and you just want to do something. You want to help. You have compassion on people that Jesus has compassion on. Um, and we know that in our own power, in our own resources, we can actually do nothing. You know, it's like the prodigal son story that, that some of you might know that. If you don't know it, I apologize. But there's, th- there's this, this younger brother who had just rejected the father completely comes home to the father. And, and, and the father doesn't just give him a meal and say, get back out there and get to work. He gives him authority in the household. He gives him an inheritance in the household. He gives him as place as sons and daughters. We're not just a here's a meal kind of movement. We're a death to life movement. And, and when, once we get our heads around that, it's easier to be a part of give out a meal movement because we can do that. We just raise some money. We make some food. We hand it out. We schedule ourselves. We get in a rotation and we do that. It's hard in our natural state to be in a death to life movement. How am I gonna take my brother or my sister, my mom, my dad, my son, my daughter, my friend, my workmate, my neighbor? How am I gonna get them to actually believe in Jesus? (laughs) They hate Jesus. How am I gonna get them into there's this place of feeling completely inadequate, and that is exactly where Jesus wants you to be. He wants you to feel completely inadequate. It's not until you feel inadequate that you believe, I need Jesus. So that's how we became Christians, we feel inadequate. We can't get to the Father on our own. But, but in terms of like gifts of the Spirit and this whole Holy Spirit thing, you need to feel a need for the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that's by stepping out in, on mission first. I would recommend being filled with the Holy Spirit first, but if, if you step out on mission first, you all of a sudden realize, I can't do it. Good. We're glad you feel that way. If you're here today and you feel like, I can't do this, I'm not seeing people saved. I'm not seeing the power of God. Good. (laughs) Good. That's where he wants you to be. He wants you in a place that feels you, you need to ask, you need to seek, you need to knock, you need to demand. I need your Holy Spirit. You said that we would be a people of the Spirit. You said I would have the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says that he wants to give us gifts. It's an interesting word. You ever think about that? He didn't say, I want to give you tools. That would be a, a fine thing to say. I'm going to give you some tools for the mission. You know, here's your hammer and your screwdriver, and, and some of you are going to get a power drill. You know, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say tools for the mission. He says gifts. He wants us to know something about these, that, that he's a good father who gives good gifts. These are gifts. They're not just tools. They're not just uh, something in our, in our repertoire that we use. They're gifts that are given to us. And so, how do we receive these then? How do we receive gifts of the Spirit? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, write this one down. Number one is put your confidence in Christ. How do we receive gifts of the Spirit? Number one, we put our confidence in Christ. These are supernatural gifts. I'm spe- oh, sorry, I'm speaking predominantly of the gifts that we find in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. There are other gift lists uh, uh, that are really um, helpful. But I'm, I'm talking more about these, what we would call maybe manifestation gifts or supernatural gifts, these kind of wow, these wow factor gifts in a way. Um, number one is you put your confidence in Christ. So we live in the natural. And so if we live in the natural, we've got to get our eyes off of ourselves and we need to put our eyes on Jesus, who's outside of the natural. So there's dozens of reasons why you shouldn't receive the gifts of the Spirit. We could all sit around today and just talk about why we shouldn't receive these gifts. Because we've done something or thought something or, blah, 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 or saw somebody abuse these gifts or whatever it is. That we could all come up with reasons why we should not receive these gifts. And yet there's one Trump reason why we should receive these gifts. And it's flat out that Jesus wants to give them to you. That's it. So you come up with your list. I came up with my list. Jesus wants to give them to you. I win. <laughs> so what we first need to do is take our eyes off of ourselves and stop evaluating your worthiness. That is, a, a, it's just a trap that you're going to find yourself in. Well, I, uh, maybe you've even asked for some certain gifts before and you've not received anything because you say, I guess I'm just not worthy. I'm not like these people who are, they're on fire. They're passionate. They're committed. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, eh. Uh. No, no, get your eyes off of yourself. Stop evaluating yourself and your resume and evaluate Jesus and get your eyes on Jesus. So when you read the, the Gospels and you see what Jesus did, you see like some pretty wild and crazy things, don't you? Say yes. John fourteen twelve says this. John fourteen twelve says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. That verse bothers me. <laughs> That's one of those verses. There's a few verses out there that you kind of feel like, I wish that one wasn't in there. That one bothers Does it bother you a little bit? It bothers me in, because it says, I say to you, whoever believes in me, how many of you believe in Jesus? Now you might just barely believe in Jesus, but you believe in Jesus, right? Doesn't say, doesn't say how much you believe in Jesus. Those of you with a mature, full belief in Jesus, doesn't say that. Those of you who've got the mustard seed, those of you who just, I believe, but help my unbelief, that person, whoever believes in Jesus will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Now, many people have tried to rationalize this verse by saying, well, let's just take out the healing part because he was God. Let's take out the, the, the powerful encounters part because he was God and we're not. And they begin to kind of take the pen out, the, the, the pen knife, and cut out those verses of the Bible and say, those aren't for us. What he really meant was, well, what else did Jesus do? Feed the five. Well, yeah, he did that supernaturally. What else did he do? Well, he taught some. Yeah, but he taught and backed up his teaching with miracles. What did he do? It's that we cannot reduce it down to Christianity as teaching some people about a historical figure and about some moral code. It, It is actually about this. Sorry, I was told by the cameraman. He just I just saw him. That was awesome. I made my move and he was like, um, I'm going to stand like this. It's about this. It's about the now and the not yet. It's that Jesus, Jesus came to heal the sick, to raise the dead. And then he says, listen, you, those who believe in me, will do the things I've done, even greater things. Now, there's the quantity quality issue on this. Are we going to do more quality signs and wonders than Jesus did? Oh, you walked on water Well, I walked on a cloud. You know, like, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a quality issue, it's a quantity issue. That Jesus was one person in one place at one time, despite what other religions might say. He was not in South Korea also. He was one person in one place at one time. And so the amount of miracles he did were limited to his place. Right? You tracking with me? So, but for us, uh, some say a billion followers of Jesus around the world. We could do a lot more in terms of the quantity of signs and wonders around the globe. But we oftentimes reduce this thing down to a teaching, the Bible. oof, walking on thin ice there. We reduce it down to things that Jesus didn't quite reduce it all down to. He said we would do what he did. And that that bothers me because I oftentimes live life not doing what he did. So it says that he's going to the Father. How is all this going to work? He says, because, at the end of John 14, 12, because I'm going to the Father. The reason you're going to do greater things than I did is because I'm going to the Father. Well, what happened when he went to the Father? He poured out the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And with that, he gives us gifts. He gives us gifts. So our, our confidence is in Jesus. When you go to, to pray, and, and we're going to do that today. We're going to pray for each other, and we're going to have a time of ministry. When you go to step into prayer, do not look at the line of people and go, I'm going to go to Steve Miles because I know he's got a hot hand. <laughs> and I'm not going to go to whoever over here. I'm not going to point out names, Kurt McCutcheon. But don't, I'm not going to go to Kurt <laughs> McCutcheon because... It's not about who's praying for you, and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. That's it. Your confidence is in Jesus to receive gifts. So when Jesus um, commissioned the disciples, he says, go into all the villages. Did you, did, uh, this is crazy. He says, go into all the villages. Okay, we're going to do it. What do we do? He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons and proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. That was their seminary training. Go, you're going to go and you're going to carry on this mission. Okay, what do we do, coach? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons and let them know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Can I say that perhaps we've overthought this thing? That this is no small thing that he's called them to, but we have in an effort to become more rational and more palatable, we have minimized statements like that so that we can, and, and I'm, listen, I'm not saying we, what we do is all wrong. I'm just saying that perhaps we need to think through some of this stuff. So our confidence is in the king. So let me give you an example of that in Acts 19. We encounter the sons of Sceva in Acts 19. They're the sons of a Jewish uh, priest. And uh, they go out, these boys set out to do some battle with some demons one day. And um, they, they go to this man who's possessed by a demon and they say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Now, they got the name right. What's the name that brings authority? Jesus. Got that right, right? So check, we did that right. In the name of Jesus, got, right? You said Jesus, I said Jesus, you said Jesus. Okay, we all said Jesus, we're good. They were right. Paul did preach this Jesus. They got that right, too. Who's Paul preaching? He preaches Jesus. So when Paul does this, what does he do? He says, in the name of Jesus. Okay, that's what we're going to say. We're going to say, in the name of Jesus. And then they get the command right. Come out. Is that what Paul said? Yeah, that's what Paul said. Okay, is that what Jesus? Yeah, okay, good. Check. We did the three things we were supposed to do. We got the name right, we got Paul's thing right, and we got the command right. Great. Now, the result of this, if you remember, if you've read this in Acts 19... They get beaten naked. (laughs) They literally get beaten naked. And you think, well, why? They had the name, they had Paul, and they had the command. Well, they had the right words, but they didn't have the right relationship. They were trying to build it off the back of Paul's faith. They were trying to build it. Can I just say this? They were trying to build it off of religious tradition. They weren't building it off of relationship. See, divine power does not come through formula. It comes through a relationship with Jesus. Not a religion, not a tradition, not a formula. It comes through a relationship with Jesus. So number one, put your confidence in Jesus. Many times I've prayed for the sick and said, what am I doing? I mean, just if I can be vulnerable with you for a moment. I've prayed for people and I go, what am I doing? This is crazy. It's not the dull headache and, ooh, I got a little pinch in my back. It's MS. It's cancer. It's stuff that doctors say it ain't going to change. And you're praying for them and you go, what am I doing? And you're right. What are you doing? Don't look at yourself. Look at Jesus. I can remember praying for a woman with MS, and I just thought, "This is, I mean, I literally laughed. I was like, this is crazy. I went to college. Like, this is nuts. (laughs) And yet there was this moment of compassion, this moment where God broke in, and this woman is free from MS to this day. I mean, God healed her of MS. It wasn't because of my great, powerful faith. And I'm not trying to just say that to kind of invite some lower the bar a little bit. That's a true statement. I laughed out loud and thought, this is crazy. I shouldn't have said yes to praying for this woman. And we did, and she got. You've got to take your eyes off your inadequacies. You've got to take your eyes off your reputation. So, much, so many times I know for me, I'm trying to hold on to my reputation. I don't want to be known as that kind of person. I don't want to be known as that kind of Christian. I don't want to be known as somebody who prayed for somebody and it didn't work. I don't want to be known for somebody who, we've got to get our eyes off ourselves and on to Jesus. We get into Jesus' reality, not ours, because ours is messed up. Number two, let the confidence make you hungry. So number one, put your confidence in Jesus. Number two, let the confidence in Jesus make you hungry. As your confidence in Jesus is realized, don't be apathetic. Don't be apathetic. Apathy is the enemy of your heart. Apathy is the enemy of your relationship with Jesus. Apathy is the enemy of the church. Apathy is just flat out the enemy. 1 <laughs> Corinthians 14.1, another one that I think a lot of people wish wasn't in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Okay, well, I believe that the gifts of the Spirit do exist. They can happen if God were to so want to do that in this person's life or my life. It could possibly take place if God wanted to somehow move in his sovereign providential hand upon. No, that's not what he's asking you to do. He's not asking you to admit that they exist. He's asking you to earnestly or eagerly desire these gifts. You cannot be apathetic or passive when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. See, there's a natural drift that will happen in your life and in this church, and that drift will not be towards the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. The natural drift is away from those things. The river of culture and the river of life and the river of being a palatable church will take you down away from. We have to paddle upstream and be eager and earnest about the gifts of the Spirit. It's because we're not just fans of Jesus. We're actually disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus means we're followers of Jesus. We literally get up and follow Jesus. We're not just followers of Jesus intellectually. We're followers of Jesus in our physical lives. We have taken up our cross. We have died to ourselves, and we have said, I will follow you, even if it means my reputation is on the line. Well, yeah. I mean, in light of world events and where Christians are in this world, you're thinking, well, I don't know if I can even pray for uh, listen, we take Listen, we take up our cross. We've died to ourselves, and we earnestly and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So we need to repent of apathy. We need to repent of apathy, and we need to earnestly desire. The Greek word for earnestly is this word zelo, and it's translated simply, zealous. That we would be zealots. That would we be zealous for the gifts of the Spirit. Let me just put it bluntly. It's God's will for your life that you would earnestly and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. It is Satan's will for your life that you would be apathetic to the things of the Spirit. You got that? God's will for you is to be earnest. It's in His Word. I did not make that up. I did not just sense that from the Holy Spirit. It is in the Word of God. He wants you to earnestly desire. Number three, let people's needs make you hungry. Number three, let people's needs make you hungry. The gifts of the Spirit are not just for these fun, charismatic meetings. They are for the mission, as we've been saying. And I think... um, we all feel that, as we've been talking about today. Just feel the sense of, like, I want so desperately for this person to believe. I want so desperately. I mean, how many of you have a family member? We have a family member who we are just so desperate. We're desperate. I mean desperate for them to believe. They're getting up in age. Their health is not good. And, and they are far, far, far from God. And, 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 and you just, you're so desperate that they would believe. And, and we, we need to let that fuel us, not to just kind of be apathetic about it. Well, God, if you're going to save them, now's a good chance to, for you to do that. Well, yeah, no, it is God who saves. It is God who saves. But he's given us mission. We're asking God, when we talk to this family member, we're asking, give us words of knowledge. Give us something to unlock this thing. Give us, give us something outside of ourselves that they would see that you are good and that you're worth worship. And so we need to let these things fuel us. Um, let me just share with you what's at stake here, um, which is frightening. Jesus came across the water um, to the Gerasenes, and there was, uh, he and his disciples encountered this man who was severely demon-possessed. He was naked. He was uh, living amongst the tombs. He was living among the dead. Uh, they had tried to chain him up, and he broke the chain. Something wasn't right about this boy, and it wasn't normal. And um, long story short, Jesus goes to this man, and he commands these demons to leave this man. And they negotiate with Jesus. Strange story. He says, "Let us go into the pigs." Fine, you can go in the pigs. The pigs go off the cliff, and uh, whoever owned those pigs was ticked because that was their livelihood. It's one of those head scratchers. Um, but but let me just give you what what here's the results of that whole thing, Luke eight thirty five through thirty seven. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, hallelujah. <laughs> and in his right mind, praise God. And they were afraid. Verse thirty-six says, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and he returned. They asked Jesus to leave because he did something supernatural. He set this man free. We know that guy. We don't recognize him with the clothes on, but we know that guy. He's in his right mind. We don't recognize that about him. He's in his right mind. We don't like that. Can you leave? And we are in danger as churches of Jesus showing up in power through the Holy Spirit and saying, "Eh, didn't like that. We'll go without that. We could do without that. And it's sure it's confusing. It is confusing. The guy lost a herd of pigs, a livelihood. I don't know, Jesus, did he like d- dig into the pocket and say, I'm oh, sorry, man, here's your, did he raise the pigs from the dead? <laughs> like, what did he, no, no. And they were ticked that Jesus did what he wanted to do. And if we're not careful, we can be in this place of asking Jesus to step away. Um, the most questions I get on gifts of the spirit are in um, these, like I said, 1 Corinthians 12, through 14. I want to touch on three of them, I believe. Yeah, three of them. Um, I don't have time to get through all of them today, but I want to touch on the ones that seem to be uh, touchy. (laughs) So first one I want to talk about is prophecy. Paul tells the Corinthians to desire the spiritual gifts. I want you to eagerly, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, so that especially that you might prophesy, that you might prophesy. The reason being is because prophecy is hearing the heart of God. That's a good thing. That you would someone would hear the heart of God. They would get the mind of God, and they would share it with believers and unbelievers. That they would. Prophesy that they would bring encouragement to the church. I'm sure if you've been around Jubilee for a while, you've seen this in action. People bring an encouragement to the church. It's a word that God has stirred in their hearts. They're getting the heart of God. They're getting the mind of God, and they want to share it with you. Now, listen, prophecy always, always, always submits to the Scriptures. Okay? So the Bible is, is the authority of God. It is the revelation of God. It's not everything there is to know about God, but it's all we need to know about God for salvation and for this life. There's more to know about God. The Bible admits that. But we come under the scriptures. And when we prophesy, we're, we're matching up. Does this match with God's heart in the scriptures? Does this match with who God is and what God has said? Are we, are we tracking with the Bible? You need, we need to make sure we're that. But we need prophecy because it, 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 it is the, the truth the truth that comes alive. It's the truth that is for now. It's it's that moment when someone prophesies over you something simple like, "Hey, God's heart is for you," and you think, "I knew that in the Bible, but something just happened, something just unlocked in me. I'm experiencing the love of the Father in a way I've never experienced before because it's the it's the the Bible come alive." Now, we uh, don't encourage, and, and you might need to fix this later, Brian and the elders who I see are sitting very close to microphones over here, but um, <laughs> we we. We encourage people to not use Old Testament pronouncements. When, when he said that, I want you all to prophesy, he's not saying, I want you to all be Elijah's and Ezekiel's and Isaiah's. Their, their words were destined for Holy Scripture. Those words were, were, those were the word of, that was the word of God. But he's saying to us, I, I believe, he doesn't want us to be saying such things as, thus says the Lord, or this is the word of the Lord. Um. I think as a community of people who are redeemed and filled with the Holy Spirit, we prophesy together. We, see, the Bible says, Paul says, you prophesy in part. You, you only see in part. You don't see the whole thing. But together as a community, we can start to see the whole thing together. And that you're not going to be uh, the, you know, the thus saith the Lord person. But you are going to hear from God, and you are going to share the heart of God, and you are going to share the mind of God. And sometimes it's encouragement, and sometimes it is a little bit of correction, wanting to pull somebody back towards him in a very loving way, not in a harsh, condemning way. Sometimes it can be directional. Those are even more scary. Like if if you said to someone, man, I just feel God has said something very directional for that person's life, I would recommend you get some elders around you. You weigh that first before you just blurt that out to them. Well, it's God's word. i got to say it right now. Mm. No. You need to be respectful and honorable. You need to be caring of people. We don't prophesy um, births, weddings, funerals. We don't do that. I remember a, a guy, when we lived in England for a year, a guy had, had a prophetic word that he was going to marry this woman, and he could not stand this woman. But he was wrapped up in this prophetic word, I've got to marry her. I'm like, dude, just reject that. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't even want to be in her presence. How are you going to marry her? Like, either God's going to change your heart, or it was not from God. (laughs) Anyways, so. (laughs) And don't do funerals. Um, Okay, I know that I'm kind of touching on these things. Um, We don't want prophecy. Prophecy should never elevate ourselves. Prophecy isn't our platform. I have the prophetic gift. I am the one who prophesies. Look at me, everybody. No, no, no. It's not to elevate yourselves. All these things are to elevate Jesus. If it doesn't elevate Jesus, it's probably not real. It's probably not from God. Now, there's always that element of flesh in it. There's always an element of emotion in these sorts of things. But, but you've got to be careful not to say, like, this is about me. I said it. Therefore, you need to go and do it. If you don't do it, you're disobedient to God because I'm God's man of power for the hour. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're a people. We weigh it together. We weigh it together. You're filled with the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit. Let's weigh it together. Is this God speaking? And yet we need it. Let me just uh, go to one other, or two other ones. Distinguishing between spirits. This is um, the God-given ability to discern what is true and what is false. Now, the reason I want to talk about this one is because oftentimes, if you've been around church for a while, it's easy for us to believe that the distinguishing between spirits gift is about kind of knowing the, the evil side of it that was demonic, that was demonic, that person, you know, that sort of side. But, but actually, more importantly, we learn to discern what is the Holy Spirit. We need a, a, a just truckloads of people in our churches who can discern not only what is evil, but what is of the Holy Spirit. It's easy sometimes to discern what's evil, right? <laughs> Eyes roll back and, okay, that wasn't, that's not good. But But we need people who can discern what is the Holy Spirit because we need to, because this helps our prophetic ministry in our church. Was that just kind of an emotional thing? Was that just kind of a, well, they got excited about something? Or was this the Holy Spirit? And we need to discern when the Holy Spirit is involved in that and when there's an absence of the Holy Spirit. And if there's an absence of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't always mean it's demonic. It just means there's flesh and there's good intentions. I've been around people, you know, they kind of get all caught up in it and their good intentions and they... And, and they say something, you're like, oh, man, that was crazy. But it's th- there was an absence of the Holy Spirit in it. Are you, are you able to discern what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's in this. The Holy Spirit's not just in the person, but in this thing that we're doing. And, and we need to be people who discern these things. And then the last one I want to talk about is um, speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues. When conversations about gifts of the Spirit come up, we usually land right here. Speaking in tongues. Um, uh, what's his name? R.T. Kendall says uh, that if tongues was not on this list, every church would be charismatic. <laughs> I mean, how many of us can just agree that it's a little strange? So, uh, if, if, if it was just about prophecy and discerning of spirits, yeah, we can all rationalize prophecy. Well, it's kind of like preaching, we'll, we'll, we'll get around that sort of thing. But when it comes to tongues, you think, well, this is unusual. Paul, though, was willing to bear that stigma. In 1 Corinthians 14, 18, he says, Listen, I speak in tongues more than all of you. He's not just bragging, like, ready, you go, and then I'll go, and we'll see who can go the longest. He's saying, <laughs> saying like, I-, I love to speak in tongues. I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, this is a funny one. Have you, have you, do you, Mark 16, 17 through 18. Jesus actually told us and his disciples that we would speak in tongues. In Mark 16, 17 through 18, it says, and these signs will accompany those who believe. These signs will accompany you who believe. That's another one. In my name, they will cast out demons. And then he says, they will speak in new tongues. That's part of what Jesus said the disciples would do. They would speak in new tongues. Now, you can rationalize that. Well, they'll learn new languages. and Well, that doesn't line up with the rest of the tongues things that we see throughout the Scriptures. That there would be something supernatural. Now, there's a lot of stigma around these gifts. Maybe, maybe someone's come up to you and said, Oh, are you one of those tongues-speaking Christians? You know, like, are you, pff, whew, you crazy? Now, Jesus, Paul says, um, yes, I am. And yet, don't forget that Paul, where do we get a lot of the word that we believe in? It was from Paul. He didn't throw his brain out as well. We're not that church. Just throw your brain out and let the Holy Spirit do what he do. That's not us. That's not us. We're a word and we're spirit. And this word stigma that I've used, it means an offense or a disgrace, shame, embarrassment. It's oftentimes used as a mark on your body so it was used for runaway slaves that they would they would they would receive a mark you're a runaway slave there's a stigma on you you've been marked and paul said that in galatians 6:17 from now on let no one cause me trouble for i bear on my body the marks of christ or the stigma of christ that the, the, there's there is this offense this disgrace this shame this embarrassment i i am a christ follower and he says that about even in this, this idea of, like, I speak in tongues. I bear this stigma. I am marked by this. And he's embracing it. He's embracing this thing that I've been marked by Jesus. And I'm not embarrassed by it. This is what he, this good father this, who wants to give good gifts, this is what he has given me. And I'm willing to bear that stigma. Now... Listen, don't come short of discovering how real God is because some well-meaning Christians said that, that uh, this kind of relationship with God is not possible for today or it's not cool for today. Don't come short of knowing the fullness of, of who God is and what God has for you because of other people out there who say it's, that's not 2015 America. Because we want the fullness. Paul was willing to bear the stigma of Christ. That I will bear, I will be marked as a follower of Jesus, no matter what that means for my life, whether it means life or death, whether it means poverty or riches, whatever it means, I don't care, I'm following Jesus. And, and, and we need to kind of break down, I know that this one can be just something that we get locked up about when we talk about speaking in tongues. Let me just say this about tongues. One is, it, it can be, that you supernaturally get a, a language, that it could be Russian or Spanish or, or whatever, that God just gives that to you for the proclamation so that somebody from Russia or Spain could understand what you're talking about. That, that is part of it. The other part of it is that there would be a public declaration of tongues, that in the meeting someone would bring a tongue. They just feel it welling up in their heart, and they bring this tongue. And Paul says, if you do that, make sure there's someone who can bring an interpretation, or you need to interpret it yourself. Because It's not sin. It just doesn't make no doggone sense. We can't just all stand up. Okay, your tongue, great. Um, Now your tongue, wow, that was interesting. You know, you're like, like, that sounded a little Chinese. I don't even know what that was. But it's like it it just doesn't do anything. It's not sin. It just doesn't make for a productive meeting. So if you do it, there's this brilliant thing with an interpretation, and this thing kind of brings in the presence of God that says, whoa. God's here. Now, we had a funny thing. I've got uh, some new people in our church who were like, "Ooh, you're a charismatic church." Yeah. Well, um we kind of we like the, the the Bible part of it, but we're going to kind of step away from the charismatic side of it. Well, it's hard to hide from it because on a Sunday, um there was a tongue and an interpretation. Now, we don't always have that in church and and I'm probably like a lot of you when it when it happens, you think of all the new people there and you think, "Oh god." Like you know, just <laughs> You don't know what to do. You're just like, oh, may this really be what you said it would be in your word. Now, this guy, this guy who, um, he's kind of a blue-collar, hard-working guy. He, he came to our community group, and uh, so we would kind of break up. The guys are praying together. The women are praying together. And in our group, he says, um, yeah, I've just been having some really great conversations with some guys at work. I'd like to pray to see them saved. I said, oh, yeah, what are you guys talking about? He said, I was telling them how there was a tongue and interpretation in our church and how cool that was. And how I just felt like, I'd never seen that before, but it's in the Bible. And I felt God's presence when it happened. And I was like, you got a plan, God. And it's better than mine. And when I'm not willing to bear the stigma, you're going to do what you're going to do. And so there is something to this that does what we cannot do. I could have talked to this guy till I was blue in the face on why the gifts of the Spirit are for today. Tongue and interpretation. Yeah, I get it. Um. And then there's another side of tongues that is a prayer language. We're told by Paul that it's fruitful for your spirit when you pray in tongues. Build your spirit up. But it's kind of fruitless for your mind. <laughs> and, and if you've ever done that, engaged in that, sometimes you can think, like, I got my grocery list going. I got my to-do list going in my mind. But I'm praying in my spirit. And I'm being built up. And, and, and that, that alone, Paul says, the gift of tongues is to build yourself up. No thanks. Really? Don't want to be built up? Nope. Why not? Why wouldn't you want to receive that? The gift that kind of is for us, that we could be healthy, that we could be built up, that isn't just for the unbeliever and for the building up of the church and for the mission things. It's actually can be for us. Why wouldn't you want that? Because I don't know. I don't know why I don't want that. Like even today, they said, hey, you can, uh, we can give you this table. And you can put stuff on it. And I was like, nah. And then during worship, I'm like, why did I say no to that table? Have you, you ever do that? Like, in, in, like someone's on the street and they're like, hey, a, here's a free soda for you. And you're like, nope. <laughs> and then you like walk by and you're like, I am thirsty. <laughs> like why, why did you say no? Why did you say no? There, there's no reason to why you said no. You want to be built up? You want to be encouraged? You want to be strengthened? No. Okay. We'll see you at the counseling session in misery. (laughs) So we need to eagerly and earnestly desire gifts of the Spirit. What time is it here?